Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Hi there. Today's episode is all about the invention of the electric chair. So we're going to be talking about execution. So as you might be able to imagine, it gets a little bit grisly. So if this one isn't for you, then you can sit this one out and I'll see you next time. William Kemmler is strapped into a chair in Auburn Prison, New York, on the morning of the 5th of August, 1890. Having been convicted of killing his wife, he's been sentenced to death. Capital punishment had been around for centuries, millennia even. But William Kemmler is about to become the first person to be put to death in an electric chair. Wires are attached to him. His face is covered. A metal restraint is placed over his head. And with that, the prison warden pulls the switch. Hello, welcome to Patented. It's a podcast all about the history of inventions with me, Dallas Campbell. Sometimes inventions are just really, really grisly, really, really unpleasant. And this is one of them. In 1885, the governor of New York called for a new method of capital punishment and a death penalty commission was set up to look at the different ways that an inmate might be put to death. It was an imaginative and horrifically violent list that was drawn up, and it ranged from everything from being beaten with clubs to being blown from a cannon and many more things in between. Well, the method that came out of that search, that investigation, and is still occasionally used today is the subject of today's episode, a truly shocking invention, the electric chair. To hear how it came about, I spoke to Mark Essig, author of Edison and the Electric Chair, a story of light and death. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. I didn't know about this. I was reading, I was looking online at, is it called the Death Commission? This is a thing in New York in the 1800s. I thought this might be a good place to start, where they were looking for, presumably because there were botched executions, so they were looking for new ways of executing people. And this report was written, and it's got, I don't know, 30-odd different ways they looked at at better ways of killing people. And it's everything from beating them with clubs to blowing them from a cannon to burying them alive to crucifixion, flogging, guillotine, hanging, the rack, pressing to death. What the hell's pressing to death? Stoning. I mean, is this a real thing or is this just an internet thing? That's a real thing. And it's in 1885, the governor of New York called for a new method of capital punishment. 
And that death penalty commission eventually arose from it. And one of its members had already become by that time a advocate of electrical execution. So in a sense, the game was rigged by the time that commission was formed. Just when you said electrical execution, the one thing that I just, I've suddenly clicked in my brain is the words electrical and execution and electrocution. <laughs> Do they come from the, you know, we talk about, oh, I've just electrocuted myself. It's a portmanteau of electricity and execution, presumably. Yes. And there was even, an, I've got a page or so in my book to describe the debate over that very topic, because some people, linguists in particular, objected to the, they actually called it a barbarism. The word electrocution itself, they referred to it as a barbarism. They didn't like portmanteaus. They thought you should go back to a more proper Greek term. Um, <laughs> so than electric or, or something like that. So a Greek word for death. And so, yes, there were electromort was another coinage that was... Uh, electromort. Oh, that's quite good. Yeah, I like that. But as is usually the case, common usage took the day and that was electrocution. So the story probably starts a bit earlier because what is the death penalty for? Like you have a murder and it tears a community apart. How do you bring the community back together? One way you bring it back together was through these rituals of execution that usually took place in public. And the purpose of them was to demonstrate the wages of sin. This is what happened. You should take care lest you go down this path and end up in this way. But it was also a way of bringing, the, they did them in public so the community could witness this and come back together again after it had been sundered. Except that got to be problematic fairly early because ex public executions became like festival days. There was prostitution and drunkenness. It became a big party sometimes with thousands or even tens of thousands of people. So that was one problem with public executions. Another was that hanging was often hard to do correctly. A hanging done properly, the goal was to break the neck and kill the prisoner rather quickly. If you dropped them with too short of a rope, they would strangle slowly to death. If you dropped them with too long of a rope, sometimes you would decapitate them, and it became rather bloody. So there were lots of objections to the ugliness of executions, and the thought was that we need to find a new, more modern, more scientific method. So this was part of the debate going back to the 1850s, 1860s, and there were various methods proposed. But one interesting thing is that the real pioneers of scientific killing were often animal protection societies who had problems of mass numbers of stray dogs that they had to, well, they thought they had to kill them somehow. And usually the, the general method was shooting them. And then SPCA started in the 1860s, 1870s to experiment with things like carbon monoxide, putting dogs in a chamber, filling it with carbon monoxide to kill them that way. And so that was what planted the idea in people's minds. Well, if we can do this scientific killing with dogs, maybe it would be a good thing to do to people as well. If there was a problem with hanging, was it that there had been some botched executions? So there were problems. Like, why didn't they just go with things like the guillotine or, I mean, I guess the French were, I mean, the French were using the guillotine, I think, up until like disturbingly late, I think. The objection to the guillotine and beheading seemed to be that it was too bloody. When you talk about the humaneness of execution, often what you're really concerned with is less the prisoner than the people who have to carry it out or who have to watch it. And it was thought that guillotine or beheading was too bloody, too ugly, too tied into the horrors, political and otherwise, of the French Revolution. So we wanted something a little bit tidier. And you wanted somebody to sort of go to sleep rather than be bleeding out all over the prison floor. It's funny, though, because I, with that logic... 
and you mentioned carbon monoxide. I'm, I would have thought, even at that point, there must be people must have thought about lethal injection as a, as a as a clean and tidy. You could you could you could anesthetize someone very humanely, and then and and that would be it. Yeah, that was and and the uh, the death penalty commission report it it actually went through those and cyanide was proposed as was morphine and one of the objections to morphine was that it was a concern that it would be too pleasant like you don't <laughs> want somebody to sort of enjoy <laughs> that's hilarious so it's like we're going to kill you and we want it we want to be humane but not too humane so you're having a nice time but enough that you're going to feel some that's really interesting gosh I've never thought of that. Yeah, they needed a spectacle of some sort. And lethal injection wasn't going to provide that. And I think that's one of the reasons why the electric chair took the day, because it it was the most spectacular, most up-to-date method. There was huge excitement about electricity. The electric light was new. And so somehow you combined this great new technology with this rather imposing piece of equipment, the electric chair. It created an execution ritual for the modern day. That's really interesting. So this new technology, electricity that's sweeping the the planet and is and it almost almost supernatural in its effects. Yeah. Interesting. Nowadays it would be death by Chat GPT, <laughs> as, as the sort of as the as the dominant. This is the technology we're all talking about. Death by AI. Careful. Don't give it any ideas. No. Okay. So that's interesting. So you've established that. So electricity as this new thing, and and why. Because at the time, electricity was used for lighting and exciting things. Where did the death bit come in with electricity? What what was the the connection between death and, and this newfangled power source? Okay, so lots of concerns in the mid-19th century about the ugliness of, of hanging. And by the 1870s, really, it was the first time that electricity started to spread in American cities because the first time you were creating electrical generators powerful enough to run lights. And in these early these early electrical systems that, that were installed in cities all around the Western world, really, they were known as arc lights. This was powerful overhead lighting, not inside your homes, but instead of street lights. And so you would have systems installed where a room full of generators pumping out electricity is running through wires to street lights on city streets. And it was much brighter than the gas lighting that had been common at the time. And it became a, a sort of tourist attraction, a spectacle in themselves. So people would walk down the streets that were lit up and they would be able to walk into the power plants where these generators were operating. And um, as soon as these things started becoming common, there were accidents. Like if, if you put yourself in the line of an electric current, you could die. There were people who worked on the systems who died. The accident that's most relevant to our story here happened in Buffalo, New York, sort of the opposite corner of New York State from New York City, where they were running one of these arc light systems and a guy who was drunk wandered in and he grabbed hold of one of the generators and he died. The line in the paper was, it was an instant death and a painless one. And so presumably that story was read by, of all things, a dentist in Buffalo by the name of Alfred P. Southwick, who had already become a sort of hobbyist in electrical executions. He was one of these people who was concerned that execution might be outlawed if botched hangings continued. So he was on the lookout for a better method. So he started experimenting with it. He collaborated with the local SPCA and collected some of their dogs and created a little box 
a zinc-lined box where he would put dogs and then he would run current into the box to kill these dogs with electricity. And he became convinced that this was the method of the future, that if we wanted to execute prisoners, we should do it with electricity. It's such a weird kind of hobby to kind of get into. It's like you're a dentist. That's kind of bad enough. And then it's like you're a dentist who also kills dogs using electricity. Like, yeah, who was it, this guy? I mean, like, was he? Do we know much about him other than he was a dentist? Like, we don't know a lot about him. He seemed to have worked, if I remember correctly, he had worked on steamships, so he probably had some experience with power generation. But I think the more relevant thing is the dentists were among the first to use anesthesia, which itself was a new medical technology at the time. So, what's known as the humanitarian sensibility that the infliction of pain is the worst thing we could do. That took hold among certain doctors and certainly dentists who, who had access to anesthesia in order to alleviate pain. So it could be that he was awakened to the horrors of physical pain through his profession. But clearly he, he took it in a rather odd direction. And it was, I should say it was him. You mentioned the Death Penalty Commission. He was the one through some political connections in the New York State legislature who got a law passed appointing the commission to look into the most humane method of capital punishment, and he got himself appointed to it. So when that commission was formed, he was one of its three members. And there was another member was a guy named Elbridge Gary, and he was very involved with SPCAs, with the alleviation of suffering to animals. And Gary was a lawyer. He did the legal research that you mentioned before regarding the historical methods of capital punishment while Southwick did more of the practical experiments of, of killing dogs with electricity. And it was Southwick also who brought Edison into the story. Well, this is the, this is the thing. All, normally, I always find doing these podcasts as all, Edison makes an appearance somewhere. <laughs> and it's funny, actually. I mean, crikey, even, even, we were even doing a podcast episode about, um, about, about ghosts and supernaturalism, and Edison had invented a, a kind of way of recording spirit voices or something crazy. But... Again, here he is involved in the invention of the electric chair. So how do we get from the euthanizing dogs through to Edison and electric chairs? Well, Southwick, our Buffalo dentist, he was already convinced by electricity. And Edison at this time was the most prominent electrical expert in the country. At this time, he had already invented the phonograph. He had already invented the first practical incandescent lamp. He was a very prominent figure in newspapers. He liked to talk to reporters. So if you wanted an electrical idea to carry the day, uh, it was good to have Edison on your side. So Southwick, the dentist, wrote Edison a letter, said, is electricity a good way of killing people? And Edison's first response said, no, I'm opposed to capital punishments. I don't want to get involved. Southwick wrote back and said, well, your personal opinions don't really come into the matter. While it is the law, don't we have a responsibility to make it as humane as possible? And Edison apparently was convinced by that. But he said, yes, electricity can be a good method of killing people, but only if you use the alternating current available in this country, primarily from George Westinghouse in Pittsburgh. So we should just mention at this point, we should talk about the current wars and what that means, just for listeners, just to explain the alternating current, direct current battle that was going on at the time. Yeah, and this was really the heart of the story. This is, this is when the, the battle was joined. So essentially, electrical systems were of two types. Edison's was known as a direct current system. And he was already installing a system in lower Manhattan, which was DC. And in, in Edison's DC system, you would generate 
transmit and consume power at about the same voltage, at a relatively low voltage, roughly what, what we use today. Alternating current systems, because of the nature of the current, you could use transformers, which meant that you could generate it, step it up to a high voltage for transmission, and then lower the voltage for consumption. And what that meant was that you could lower the cost of copper. With a higher voltage, you could use thinner wires, and copper was by far the greatest expense. So you could electrify more places more cheaply with alternating current. The danger, of course, is that you're, when you're running higher voltages, you're running a greater danger of somebody getting in the way of that current and dying. And Edison was concerned that if alternating current was used, people would get hurt, people would die, and it might kill the electrical industry. It might damage the electrical industry before it even got off the ground. You have to remember that like, we, we take electricity for granted, but at the time it was entirely novel, and Edison was concerned that any accident might kill his investments before it even started. And was this an opportunity for Edison to actually go, actually, no, I can, I can see a way of promoting my technique of direct current as opposed to Westinghouse's alternating current. And I can actually say, yes, you can kill people using the other thing, the dangerous thing. Absolutely. Like the most charitable spin you can put on it is that Edison actually did believe that electricity was a good method of execution and that alternating current actually was more dangerous. But there's no way he would have gotten involved in this question if he did not see a business opportunity in it. He wanted to damage the business interests of his rival and promote his own system, which he also thought was was safer and better for the future of the industry. So absolutely a dirty tricks campaign. Did Edison actually make a chair? Like what's how do how do we get from all the kind of discussions about whether or not this is going to work to actually the the kind of first I mean, did they build prototypes? They were using them on dogs. How did it how did it work? And how did Edison get involved further? Did he actually produce anything? Well, what happened was that they worked mostly through proxies. There was a guy named Harold Brown who became the public face of it. And he was, he was a very prominent critic of alternating current and a proponent of electrical execution. And there were some letters stolen. It, it, there was a lot of espionage going on. So at, at one point in all of this, there were some letters stolen from Brown's office that confirmed that he was coordinating closely with top officials in Edison's company. Just tell us who Brown was. Do we have a little bit of bio about Brown? Do we know much about him? We don't know a lot about him. He was basically sort of a, before this, an unknown figure who just worked in the electrical industry in New York. Like, so not not a prominent figure by any means. But what gave him credibility was that he was welcomed to Edison's laboratory, which at the time was in West Orange, New Jersey. Edison put his top electrician at Brown's disposal. And together at Edison's laboratory, they conducted all of the scientific experiments on killing. They killed dogs, they killed calves, they killed horses, all in ways to demonstrate that electricity was powerful enough to kill a human being. And Edison was very public about it. He gave a lot of uh, newspaper interviews in which he said that this would work. And, and he used the power of his reputation and the availability of his equipment to make sure that this law not only was passed, but that it was actually carried out. March 2023 marks 20 years since the start of the Iraq War. The war was waged to rid the world of a brutal dictator, yet it would end marred in controversy. 
So why did the Iraq war go so badly wrong? And what legacies has it left behind today? Well, I'm your host, James Patton Rogers, and every Monday on the Warfare Podcast from History Hit, we're exploring a different aspect of this tumultuous period in history. We'll be asking, what was the role of the UK government and Prime Minister Tony Blair? Could the Secretary of State legally order British forces into Iraq, and could British forces follow that law? And how did ISIS rise from the destruction left behind? But ISIS, this peculiar strain that we all came to to know very well in uh, the mid-2010s, really got its start because of the US invasion of Iraq. Join me, James Patton Rogers, on the Warfare podcast from History Hit as we look back on one of the most controversial conflicts in recent history. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Were other people sort of jumping on this and trying to design chairs as well? Or was it all, did they have a kind of monopoly? So everyone, Brown and Edison, working the Edison laboratories to build this method of execution. Was anyone else trying to do it? There was an organization in New York called the Medico Legal Society, an organization of doctors and lawyers concerned with such things. They got involved a little bit. But it was really, it was these guys who were doing it mostly. It was not a cheap undertaking. You, you needed some capital behind you to to acquire the equipment necessary to do this. And it was actually Brown Brown ended up with the state contract to supply the equipment to the prisons for executions. So he was considered a, a sort of neutral expert who could do this. Okay. Can you take us through the equipment? Like, for example, why is it a chair? Why is it not like a gurney or something else? Like, how did we go from the electrocution to it being a physical wooden chair? Well, I'll say first, there's a lot of speculation because Southwick was a dentist that the electric chair was actually a dental chair. And that appears not to be the case. I talked to uh, the curator at the uh, Dental Museum here in the States who sent me photographs of of dental equipment from the time. And the electric chair looks nothing like a uh, dental chair at the time. Somebody described it as similar to a barber chair. What it really looks like is like a craftsman chair, like stickly furniture, a very prominent maker at the time, who did have some connections to upstate New York where these things were built. In any case, that's a tangent. How to do it was debated in medical legal journals. There's an illustration of what sort of looks like a shower stall where a man is standing up with a metal plate on the floor and what looks like a shower head descending from the top. So that was one idea, was to have a standing position. There were also illustrations of electric tables to strap somebody down. 
And there seemed to be a fear that that would look like more like a medical experiment. So the chair seemed to strike a middle ground. You, you were in an upright position, and yet you could be properly restrained at the ankles and wrists and chest. There's quite a bit of theater involved in this, quite a bit of aesthetics. There were quite a bit of aesthetics, and there were, it was also, it was all very half-assed as well. Even when they were going into the first execution, they hadn't decided on the level of current to use. But yeah, they, they gave a lot of consideration to how it would appear, because like the, the, I think they didn't discuss it as such, but the ritual aspects of it were very important, as they've always been in executions. I always, it's funny because I, look, I looked at a picture of an electric and it's, they, they kind of look like really nicely made. And, and I kind of want this little arch there. And I kind of think, God, they've, they've really thought about this. And they've thought about kind of, in a way, sort of making it look rather nice. It's, it's not just a kind of medical chair you'd find in a hospital or something. It's a, a kind of wooden, well-joined, you know, the, uh, like something like a craftsman would have made. It just seems such an odd, an odd thing. Yeah. And the one curious design element is at least some of the chairs have an attachment at down at the ankle level that sort of looks almost like a stockade where you could fit the ankles and, and strap them down properly. The other thing to think about, it had to be very well made because a body under the stress of execution, all the muscles are contracting. It, it had to be strong enough to withstand a human being in extreme distress. So tell us, Mark, tell us about the first execution. So they've done these experiments how do we get from there to execution number one? Who was it? What happened? And what was the result? It was a man named William Kemmler. He was a vegetable peddler, also in Buffalo by coincidence. He was drunk and killed his common-law wife with a hatchet, admitted to it immediately. The quote in the newspapers was, I, I did it and I'm ready to be hanged for it. But of course, he wouldn't be hanged because he was the first person convicted under this new law. A very extended legal process that involved legal support from, from high-powered high attorneys, extensive hearings about electrical execution. But eventually it was, it was determined that it, that it was legal. And he was killed at a prison in Auburn, New York, which is in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes region of New York. By coincidence, one of the prisons that uh, de Tocqueville had visited in the 1830s to examine Americans' carceral methods. So Kemmler was convicted after the appeals were exhausted. He was executed August 6th, 1890. Did he get a choice? Like, you know, he's he's on death row. He thinks he's going to be hanged. Did like someone knock on his cell door and say, oh, by the way, we've just invented this. It's amazing. It's really good. It's futuristic electric chair. Do you fancy that instead of hanging? Like, what was the, was he like, yeah, okay, I'll give that a shot. Or did he have a choice or? No, he had no choice in the matter. The, the choice thing has only arisen in the past few years. There's some, there's some states that offer prisoners a choice between various methods, uh, usually the electric chair at lethal injection. But no, he was given no choice. The most curious part of the scene is the warden brought him into the room and said, have a seat, William. And it was that, that sort of timeless gesture of hospitality that had a very different valence in this particular situation. So he was seated in the chair, strapped in. They even, according to the newspapers, even then they had not determined how long the current should run. And so they turned it on for 17 seconds and then turned it off and said, it's over, he's dead. And then he started breathing again. And so they very hurriedly turned it on again and ran it for a couple of minutes. 
So he's in the, in this chair, he, and he's got straps around his ankles, straps around his wrists. Where is the electricity coming from? Is it is it the head or the feet, or how does it work? Yeah, there's an electrode that attaches to the top of his head and another to his ankle. I imagine you know the scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest where they have he has sort of like wet sponges. Do you remember that scene with Jack Nicholson? Yeah, the wet sponge was that was used as well as a way of uh, lowering resistance, allowing the current to run with less resistance from the from the wires in, into the skin. You said that they ran it, but he didn't die. So do we know? And they ran it again. Was was there an interval between that? Did they like find out what went wrong, or like they just kept flicking the switch? There was a short interval, primarily because of. Uh, for technical reasons. It was a very jerry-rigged system in which they were using power running from the prison workshops, and then the control board was in another room. And so there was there was a lot of communications difficulty. So I, I don't think it was more than a minute or two between the jolts. But then they left it on for so long that people in the room were smelling burning flesh and, Jesus. and oh, people. It, it was... It, it was horrendous. Well, that's the thing. You, t- you you know, you read horror stories about it, about people not dying and about flames coming out. And I don't understand what, I mean, from, okay, from that first execution, did they not sort of perfect it? Or did they not, like, how did, what happened after that? Did they not think, oh, actually, this is a terrible way of punishing people? <laughs> well, you, you would think they might decide that. But, but again, w- once you start traveling down this road, it's like, oh, it, we had some technical difficulties. There were some bugs in the system. We will perfect these. Edison actually proposed an alternate method in which the prisoner would put his hands into two cups of solution, electrical conducting solution, and the current would run from hand to hand. And Edison's theory behind this was that so many accidents involved people grasping a wire, grasping a dynamo. And he thought if it killed these people in accidents, it could kill a prisoner if we did it deliberately. When they tried this, it failed, but they had also, to the same prisoner, connected the electrodes in the more usual way from head to ankle. And so after it failed the Edison way, they did it the other way and and did succeed in killing him. So there were always botched executions where they got it wrong, but they kept tinkering with it. And sometimes they got it to work. Often they got it to work in a way that, at least to the satisfaction of those people watching, was relatively quick and relatively painless. Right. After it had been used for a while, was it considered more reliable than hanging in terms of, as you mentioned at the beginning, there were lots of botched hangings because for whatever reasons? Yeah, I don't think that the reliability was really the issue. You wanted to be up to date. You didn't want to be a state using the old fashioned method of execution. And, right. and because of that's interesting. Yeah. Because in the US, of course, all these decisions are made at the state level rather than at the federal level. Each state had to decide for itself. And you didn't want to be one of the old-fashioned states. You wanted to be cutting edge with the new method of capital punishment. And that, that seemed to have a lot to do with the spread of the method. So how popular did it become and how quickly did the, the sort of popularity of it spread state-wise? Because I think, did it become the sort of preeminent way of doing it? Was hanging outlawed after this or were people still hanged? No, some states stuck with hanging. I think Ohio and Massachusetts were the first states after it. And it's interesting that, that those were sort of more what we would consider more progressive northeastern states. But then pretty soon, uh, North Carolina adopted it as well here in the South. And it never took over every place, but it spread quickly. It was embraced. But then, of course, people started experimenting with other things, like the gas chamber, which I think was, was, was first used in the 1920s. 
Crikey. You've talked about the first electrocution by chair. It's not used anymore, I think, or maybe it is, still, but it's very rare now, isn't it, that capital crimes would be dealt with by the electric chair? I think the most recent was just three years ago. So there are times some, some of the states that offer it as a choice, sometimes people will choose it. So I think, I want to say 2020 in Tennessee, but for the most part, executions are rare everywhere. When they happen, they are usually use a lethal injection. In your opinion, who do you think was the, is, is the inventor of the electric chair? If we had to sort of put a name, is it Edison? Is it Brown? Is there someone that you think is the kind of, if you had to pin a name on it? I think like most inventions, it, it was a group effort. I think, well, sort of like Edison, we say Edison invented the light bulb, but he didn't really. He, he created the first practical incandescent lamp. So... The person who had the idea and the political power to push it forward was Alfred Southwick. The person who did most of the experiments was Harold Brown. But I think more than that, who was the person who ensured that it became and stayed the method of execution in New York? And that was Edison. The Death Penalty Commission that you mentioned early on, when it made its recommendation, it seemed a little tentative, but it quoted Edison it quoted the letter that Edison wrote saying that this was a good method of execution. And it said, if a change is made, electricity is the best option. But it didn't necessarily say that a change should be made. When Elbridge Gerry was interviewed, he said that he had no doubt after hearing Edison's opinion. And when William Kemmler, the first man convicted under the law, had his appeal and there were hearings about the constitutionality of executing with electricity, it was Edison's opinion that ensured that it survived. So although I'm uncomfortable saying any individual invented the electric chair, I'm very comfortable saying it wouldn't have become a law, it wouldn't have become a reality without Edison's support behind it. There is something morbidly fascinating about it i'm trying to how did you get involved i'm just interested in in your kind of involvement in it like why was it a history that particularly fascinated you i was in in graduate school at the time i i was studying history writing a dissertation for my phd which had to do with with early forensics and poison detection and one of the first one of the cases i studied a medical student in new york city who had poisoned his pregnant young girlfriend with morphine and killed her was among the first to die in the electric chair. So I got curious about that and started poking around. And that's, that, that's how I discovered the story. So as, <laughs> as soon as I had finished the dissertation and left graduate school, I got started on this book. Point us towards the book for listeners who want to read more. The book is called Edison and the Electric Chair, A Story of Light and Death. Brilliant. Listen, thank you very much for coming on. It's a gruesome story. It's a macabre story. When is America going to get rid of the, the death penalty? It just seems such a weird, anachronistic thing that America should still have it. I don't think we will. I think there was a time in the early 70s after a Supreme Court decision, there was, there was sort of a moratorium. But even then, the objections to the death penalty were less that it was immoral, but that it was unevenly applied, that the people convicted tend to be people of color. And so given the ugliness of, of American politics, I don't expect that you, Texas, for instance, will never abolish capital punishment. What do you mean the ugliness of American politics? American politics is so smooth and 
Easy. <laughs> we can do another uh, podcast on that. But yeah, I'd, I think it will it will continue to be difficult to carry out just because the legal machinery that can block an execution has gotten rather advanced. So it, it will continue to be used rarely, but I don't think it will ever go away, sadly. That's a good point to leave it. Mark, thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Fascinating, strange, macabre, but a pleasure. Thank you, Dallas. Pleasure talking. That's it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Well, perhaps enjoy is the wrong word, but I hope you found today's episode at least interesting, if not a little bit grisly. Don't forget, if you've got an episode or an idea you'd like us to cover, you'd like us to investigate, get in touch, patented at historyhit.com, or you can just send me a DM on social media somehow. We would love to hear from you, as ever. And don't forget, we have episodes, two episodes a week, every Wednesday and Sunday, so I look forward to your company next time. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.